And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are back. It's another week, another week in Zoom. I like to think of this as like a digital breakfast club where we've <laughs> all been on detention. No Molly Ringwald, though, unfortunately. I but, thought you, you, you were talking about the famous radio show. I was like, I don't know if that's a thing we are going to want to compare ourselves to. Right now. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm thinking of Nate in this, in this analogy of the breakfast club classic 80s film. I'm trying to figure out which character you are. I am oh, obviously I'm, I'm the nerd Michael. guy. Yeah. You're Anthony Michael Hall, are you? <laughs> <laughs> You're taping people's budgies together. Okay. Uh, Dave is the stoner guy. Yeah, uh, pretty, that's the, pretty straightforward Asian, to me. The Asian <laughs> right. guy from um, Sixteen Candles. Cross. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of images, we don't want to conjure here. We'd like to apologize to all Asian countries for Sixteen Candles. Uh, and its depictions. Um, I think Thank Dave has a little bit of a Ali Sheedy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said that. It's the eyeliner, you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's us, your hip hop, not breakfast club, uh, supper club, if you will. We are here. It's another week. This is episode one ninety one. We have a dope interview with DJ Retmatic lined up right after this segment, but we wanted to start by talking about some of our favorite moments in the history of turntablism. Uh, not to spoil it, but Retmatic goes deep on the history of um, quite a few things in this interview, but he touches on a lot of uh, key points in the history of turntablism. And it kind of got us thinking uh, about that. We are Bay Area people, right, Nate? And there was we a are. time in point. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> this is like when Retmatic is like, Dave, you're Asian, right? <laughs> I was like, I was like, yes, in the, in the chat, yes. Spot on. Spot I think on. so. Very absurd. <laughs> um, we, are, we are Bay Area folks, which really puts us uh, very much DJ adjacent at all times. We are surrounded swimming in DJ culture. Um, Nate, can you kind of ground folks in the Bay Area and its connection to what we know as turntablism? I know Rhett is from L.A., but I'm trying to kind of show our bona fides here. Yeah, sure. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, I think any like learned person and I think uh, Oliver Wong literally wrote the book on this mm. um, would point out that Bay Area, especially Filipino DJ culture of what ended up being um kind of the base a base of operations for the turntablist movement actually starts in the mobile dj scene mm -hmm. and in having crews um that did parties dances uh, quinceaneras things of that nature school dances as i told my little story about um a couple of weeks ago anyway the um you know it's just there's always just been an exceedingly vibrant scene here that really crossed over it wouldn't just be about playing um hip-hop as we know it it would be about playing freestyle and what mm. people call old school and breaks and um there's a you know dj crews that would focus exclusively on like synth pop and kind mm. of the asian american like party scene so there's just a huge panoply of really obsessive music lovers and out of that 
brings us the you know you could use invisible scratch pickles as the main emblems of this Qbert's probably the most famous scratch dj in the world and by most accounts the best d styles is kind of the people's champ and kind of folks like us would be would say like we actually prefer d's style of cutting and production and the turntablist world Mixmaster mike became world famous being the beastie boys dj and it's just such a huge beast and they sell records and merch and turntables and mixers and they've they've they're a cottage industry. Uh, but at the end of the day, I've noticed after being around them a little bit, what they are is just huge music lovers and people who um, have a really weird sense of humor and very who weird. were very, very excellent at the technical side of DJing and took it into the battle world and then kind of the sponsorship world. And now just into like the wider you know, range of music that's around. And there's a lot of other cultures that contributed to it as well. But around here, it's primarily a Filipino American uh, pastime. Absolutely. And we're, we're definitely in debt to a lot of the contributions of the folks that you just mentioned. Uh, Dave, you want to give us Yo. a working definition of turntablism? Wow. I think it's, it, uh, it, if you look at it, there, there's a there's a history of certain scratches, right? So certain turntablism, I think, is an art that can constantly builds upon itself. And so it's it's how you it's all the technical approach that you take to scratching and cutting and blending and mixing and all that. But it also ties into sort of this um, this forward thinking technology um mindset too which i which nate mentioned that like a lot of the scratch pickles are um went on to sort of conquer that sponsorship realm as well so i think turntablism um encapsulates all of that it's not just one dude scratching you know what i mean it's not one dude repetitively scratching um forever it's it's like the art of manipulating your technology yeah which in this day and age isn't even necessarily a turntable it's it's right. kind of like even that uh, even that as the the kind of crux of it um, has changed over time with changes in technology, but um, you know like I said off the top we have been thinking about and trying to uh, go back into our late uh, mid to late nineties turntablism bag and come up with some of the best moments um, for when that scene kind of like emerged and was super huge. You had. ITF battles, you had DMC battles, you had all kinds of things popping off um, in the Bay Area and beyond, really worldwide. And it was a super huge movement that even for non-DJs, um, there, it was inescapable uh, at a time. But I kind of feel like that's a Bay Area thing. I think sometimes when I'm trying to have the turntablism, turntablism discussion uh, with folks, I find that in other regions, it's just not as big of a deal i don't know if either of you have have experienced that as well i think there's a distinct new york school that the Mm -hmm. executioners represent there's a distinct la school that newmark cut chemist and the beat junkies among many others represent and then we we've talked a little bit about the bay area school there's definitely a japanese school Mm -hmm. of uh turntablism and then i was actually talking to a homie this weekend about the dj battles at scribble jam and the kind of midwestern version of this but so that's kind of a lot of places but that leaves so many millions of places out right like that's absolutely that's not that much of the world it's like a it's kind of a it's regional i suppose yeah, but also it's like the DJs of the world kind of draw from those, right? If I see a DJ now, I can 
kind of pinpoint where, what school, what Shaolin school they subscribe to in terms of, uh, of techniques and such. So since you mentioned it, Nate, I'm going to start off with my uh, fave moment, one of my favorite moments in the arc of turntablism. You mentioned uh, the Executioners, formerly known as the X-Men. Uh, 1996, the X-Men, which is a New York-based crew, uh, Rob Swift, Rock Raider, RIP, Joe Sinister, um, they battled the Invisible Scratch Pickles. And I remember this battle because it was very much hyped. And in retrospect, I don't know how it was hyped because there was no internet. So however hype spread, I just remember there was a palpable buzz prior to this battle because um, it was just like you said, Nate, there were these two schools of thought around how you should manipulate a turntable. The X-Men representing the uh, New York style, very heavily into beat juggling and also having a showman-like flair when you beat juggle. So you're seeing tricks behind the back, under the leg. It's kind of all the stuff that you would see in an early 90s hip hop uh, theme movie that DJs would be doing, except the music would not correspond to anything that they were doing. <laughs> With the chin, the shoulder yeah. blade. Yes. There's a rock radio especially has such iconic, uh, yes. you know, fader moving uh, tricks. Yeah, that that was really a staple of the New York scene at that time. And then you have the Invisible Scratch Pickles, which in classic East Coast, West Coast fashion were a lot more um, about speed, virtuosity. It was looser. It was weirder than what the X-Men were doing. Uh, and so it was this kind of clash of schools, like which approach would uh, win the day. And so they battled in 1996 at a, um, an ITF, the International Turntablist Federation uh, battle, which I would believe wasn't in New York. Um, and there's a VHS tape that we used to watch and it's, it's on YouTube right now. You can see Crazy Legs kind of sitting to the side of every DJ and kind of nodding his head and bugging out at all the stuff that was going down. But uh, what's really memorable to me from this battle was that the, the two schools clashed um, and I felt like that was kind of a watershed moment. I feel like after that, the Invisible Scratch Pickles kind of way of DJing got a lot more popular and a lot more like this is where the it's going. Um, and you don't see as much of what the X-Men were doing, but in retrospect, watching the battle, they were super clean. I remember at the time feeling like they got they got killed um in in the battle when i watched it originally and obviously i'm a i'm an invisible scratch pickles partisan um but they uh the x-men um their timing and sense of rhythm and musicality was very advanced they were very polished whereas a lot of times the scratch pickles cured especially uh would be scratching so fast and you're like are you in a pocket bro are you are you just kind of wiggling books master mike is very you know, he has a very expansive sense of rhythm. And so it was this very interesting uh, back forth where even Rock Raider in, in one of his sets is kind of does a little homage to like, I don't be doing all that blah, 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 type shit, but he does it with, with record samples and shit. So um, super dope battle to check out. Uh, noisier than I remember. Uh, it's it's a very noisy art form, but one that that definitely you can see the echoes into today and what, 
uh, Invisible Scratch Pickles eventually became, where they were going with it. We see a very young shortcut before he had kind of got his black belt in juggling, but was still very, very good. Um, so yeah, it's a really dope battle. It's, it's on YouTube as all things are. Um, and I recommend that folks check it out. Uh, Dave Ma, what was your moment of, uh, in turntablism history? You know, um, there's a few, and I, and I say that as being someone who doesn't consider myself an aficionado of it, um, shout out to DJ Scratch and Nate mentioned regionalism earlier. Um, I was always really into the 1200 hobos. Mm. Um, uh, Mr. Dibbs as well. That evolution um, tape I actually got from my friend uh, Maurice Paris. Shout out to Maurice, uh, 1998. And I think that tape came out in 1997. So, I mean, getting it in Santa Clara, 1998, was like <laughs> a coup, right? Um, but, anyways, um, shout out 1200 Hobos. Um, but the moment that I wanted to talk about was because when I was sort of looking this up, I'm just, I'm just like, Every scratch competition is the biggest sausage fest you've ever fucking seen in your life. <laughs> so um, I wanted to bring up DJ Pearlie, who was the first woman mm -hmm. to win the DMC finals in 2017. And I have mm -hmm. a, a, a small history with her because I was trying to book an expansive piece on turntablism uh, with her for Wax Poetics around 2017 when they decided to like rebrand and like do, you know, restart their thing. So that never happened. Then I tried to mm. get her on this program and then she's, she's like a world famous DJ now. So it was kind of hard, but my, my favorite moment is when she won the, the uh, DMC finals. Um, it was hosted by Lord finesse, who is a favorite amongst us. And um, Pearly is a Puerto Rican and Russian woman, um, a Bronx native. Mm. And certainly, you know, uh, turntablism is very underrepresented underrepresentative when it comes to women uh we were talking Absolutely. about earlier about scratching with your appendages and you know pam the functress hey, uh, and dj is famous for doing a titty scratch and it's like yes. on one hand it's like god damn it why does she gotta even do that you know what i mean because she's a woman and she has to like sort of stand out from a crowd of dicks right um <laughs> but anyways looking back i fucking love her and i love those videos but yeah my moment would be when pearly won the dmc mm. finals uh confident impeccable she uses the uh, delphonics uh, ready ready or not here i come to like epic effect and um that was you know that was the moment where she got her jujitsu black belt you know what i mean mm. and um hopefully we'll get her on the program soon i'm a big fan of hers it's really good to see her go on and just do huge things and um people really respect her for her skills you know what i mean absolutely and how sad is it that it, it took until 2017 Right. Totally. You know what I mean? The DMC had been around for 20 plus years at that point. Um, Nathaniel, what is your uh, moment in turntablism history? Um, there's a bunch of things. I, I would consider myself a pretty big fan. There was a time where I followed this scene just as closely as I did underground rap. And like I had a, I had a, a couple of cool little things I did or went to. Like I attended the San Francisco premiere of the movie Scratch from Doug Prey and mm. like saw him do his Q&A at that um, at the after party for that. I remember hanging out and uh, Billy Jam was asking our friend Cutso Paulo um, why he thought there were so many Filipino DJs and like why like I really wanted to like jump in the conversation, but I knew it would not be appropriate. Um, <laughs> and so I, I showed some restraint uh, by not getting involved in that. Um yeah, um, I'm going to go with one that I don't think a lot of people talk about. And just if I can recommend people listen to a thing, I've always thought that the 
UK based DJ crew, the scratch perverts were really good. Mm -hmm. And they have this track on the deeper concentration um, uh, compilation called course of action. And it's kind of like their version of the um, invisible scratch pickles um, versus the something's from Mars. The clams of death. death, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a routine they did that they made into a song and it's just like the scratching parts are really clean. The juggling part is really amazing. They do these cool tricks with volume and dynamics that shows how in touch they are. And like, for me, I've always thought it was like, kind of like the platonic ideal of like the DJ routine as song. And it Mm. goes through a couple of different movements. And I just don't think a lot of people have heard that or thought about that. So that's, uh, one that I would recommend if you want, if you want to know like what beat juggling is and what scratching is and what these kind of like movements where you're doing like panning and taking sounds and throwing them back and forth to the other DJs, you can kind of get one stop shopping by listening to this, um, this one track. And like a Mr. Thing is kind of like their lead guitarist, I guess, like as a mm. scratcher. And he's, I've, I've just always admired his style. He's really clean and really he's, both fast and clean and just really really like musical and funky so um yeah i think that's that's my thing there it is you don't get a lot of uh turntablism talk here on dad bod rap pod uh but we did we dip in the bag a little bit i want to give a shout out real quick to my cousin not play cousin my real life cousin uh dj dj uh traps who has won DMC uh, competitions before, and I think is coming up. There's a, a competition coming up that he's gonna um, he's gonna be in. Which is to say, it's important to remember that with all aspects of hip hop, just because they are not on you know the center stage of American life, uh, still go on. The DMCs are still going on. There's still people who are practicing and perfecting this craft. There's a scene in Australia of of dope DJs that are doing amazing things. Um, so, you know, we're happy to shed a little bit of light on that world. And as I stated at the top of the episode, what got us going down this rabbit hole was our conversation with DJ Retmatic, who I'll admit, I've always, I've often thought of him, uh, now I'm not going to say more of in a producer role, but I, I think of him as, as kind of like a 50, 50 type of guy. I was really into, um, the Retmatic Key Cool stuff when that first dropped. Um, and so it was great to talk to him. Such a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's one of those guys who's been around for a very long time. Uh, I would say almost like an oral historian type cat. So he goes really deep on uh, hip hop culture in general, hip hop culture in Southern California, what different ethnic groups have contributed to hip hop culture in Southern California. Honestly, we should take this to the university. And, and charge them and they can lock up Retmatic um, and keep him under glass. So without further ado, here is our interview with DJ Retmatic, Dad Bod, Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have 
the incredible DJ producer, OG Beat Junkie, Rhett Matic. What's happening, man? Like I said, the check's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> man, listen, uh, obviously we're, we're huge fans, want to kind of talk to you about your career arc and such, but um, I'm just going to start it on a, on a weird note because we just in our previous episode did a whole thing on NWA and I want to get your take as an uh, Angelino. Right. Um, when did you first understand who NWA were and like, what does their music mean to you? Well, you got to understand, look, so I, um, I mean, I'm dating myself. I'm, I'm 52. So I, I, I'm lucky to get to experience hip hop on, on the West Coast, literally L.A., like, you know, early stages before, you know, like coming coming to, to, to the West Coast, like from New York and stuff like that. So um, Dre, I, I mean, Dre, we knew Dre because of world class record crew. I mean, uh, uh, him and Yella. Uh, uh, Lonzo and uh, uh, and uh, uh, was it Shakespeare? Not Shakespeare. Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, 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 who was their MC at the time and stuff. So, like, uh, in terms of LA hip hop, like in terms of like say Uncle Jam's Army, which is in, uh, uh, Egyptian Lover, Bobcat, um, uh, Mr. Prince, aka uh, you know, uh, uh, they were pretty much kind of like the forefathers. I mean, obviously, if you go even deeper, there's like you know, there's a uh, um, there's this club called Radio, or later on known as Radiotron. That's where you right. see Breaking, the movie Breaking and stuff like that. I mean, there's th those things. But DJ-wise, you know, Uncle Jam's Army, uh, we're like the like legitimate, like the first, I guess, DJ crew, promotion crew, uh, sound system, whatever. Uh, and then, of course, there's then there's world-class wrecking crew. They're like, you know, Uncle Jam's Army and then them there's other ones but those are like the like so lot if you watch the history you know like you've seen some i'm sure you've seen some of the you know the footage like you know lonzo owned a a, a nightclub called after dark i mean i was i was in junior high so it's like you got these guys you know those guys so i mean you would hear about uh their tapes i mean i have like you know like older friends hip-hop for me when hip-hop came around like maybe 82 83 i was in junior high i didn't even know it was called hip-hop and had like older uh, and, and so in junior high i got like older friends that you know they sneaked in their boom box and then you know during lunch break break out their uh their boom box start playing like you know i remember hearing like planet rock and looking for the perfect beat uh out the speakers and they started popping and I'm like, what the heck is this stuff, right? And then already older, and also my older friend, friends, brothers and sisters would listen to funk. So funk, there was funk, new wave or rock, whatever. Uh, there was not really any hip hop stations until like maybe KGFJ, 12.30 AM, and then K-Day, uh, 1580 AM K-Day. K-Day, uh, if you're doing your history, is pretty much was the first 24-hour rap station, even though it's not really, I mean, they played, rap but it was like black music you know in general uh, um 24 hours i mean a lot of they would play a lot of you know anything that was from the new new york would play on you know you hear it from there um uh, and obviously there's other stations too like uh uh, K, uh kjlh 102.3 fm which is still around which is owned by stevie wonder uh, um there was k's uh kace was is 103.9 fm so there was two two am stations to so anyways with dre you know dre and yellow were djing over after dark club after dark and stuff uh, um 
and they would, you know, Egyptian lover was based, Uncle John's army was basically the ones who were like first you, you hear tapes and stuff that, uh, of them mixing. I mean, locally wise in terms, I mean, there was also like where I grew up in is called Cerritos, which is like a suburb uh, of L.A. County. It's like like we're pretty much like kind of like uh, like so 30 minutes, 30 minutes away from L.A., uh, about 15, 20 minutes from Long Beach and Compton and stuff. And it was crazy about Cerritos was like it's um it was one of the first suburbs per se it was like kind of multicultural. You had people that were moving everywhere from different places, uh, you know, people from Compton, you know, like uh and and you know just just different you know so i grew up around you know uh not besides filipinos i grew up around like blacks whites latinos uh just you know all uh, koreans samoans uh, uh uh just all kinds of you know i didn't didn't know anything so it's like when hip-hop started really stopping popping up it was just like oh shit and then and the ones who were doing it were like pretty much like uh um blacks and latinos of course but then you know of course there's a joke you know like you know asians in general have been involved in in hip-hop in the west coast for a long time and stuff especially like in northern california southern california like right you know so and then of course the inside joke would be like the filipinos especially were like kind of like the puerto ricans of the west coast and shit like that so um so i mean i I mean uh it's pretty interesting so I, i mean i had like in in a time hip-hop you know like when hip-hop was starting to really come in i mean cats were already kind of popping because you know popping was a pretty much a west coast thing popping and locking you know being that like you would see the you know popping came from fresno same thing with with locking and then eventually you know came down to la uh you know it started had their own styles and stuff you know you got you got the uh obviously the lockers uh performed on on soul train so if you guys don't know who the lockers are it's like you know shabadoo who's you know who's known everybody's known as uh, as uh i think it was uh i think it was ozone uh, uh and and uh and then there was a rerun from what's happening as part of the lockers and then tony basil and they were playing in soul train so when soul train moved from chicago to la it's hollywood that's you know it's kind of like some west coast shit and funk was definitely a big thing so fast forward i know i'm jumping around and shit i'm just trying to remember trying to remember everything that i remember uh, um so uh cube was in a group called cia with his with his cousin sir jinx so you know uh, um and then kd who's also part of the luncheon mob um arabian prince was part of a group called uh, uh, bobby jimmy and the critters uh bobby jimmy was this uh, uh was an honor personality comedian on k-day uh named russ parr and Bobby Jimmy was kind of like, he kind of sounded like, like Eddie Murphy like that. So they used to make, they used to, he was, I would say he was like hip hop's well, uh, weird, weird Al Yankovic, you know, he used to make songs like we look, you know, we like ugly woman. They used to do a song called, uh, you know, like, you know, like Houdini's got a song called big mouth. He had a, they flipped and called it. You got a big, you know, you got a big, butt, a big, butt. they had a song to, he had a song that's called, uh, um, you know, okay, you know, uh, Timex Social Club uh, rumors. They used to have a song called "Roaches." You know, mm-hmm. uh, then there was a song though. He made a parody called "New York, New York, L.A. Rappers," where he imitated uh, everyone's, but it's kind of funny. So, I mean, if you mm-hmm. Google it, uh, Bobby Jimmy the Critters, New York, uh, L.A. Rappers is funny. So, right um, but yeah, Arabian Prince, uh, no original member of N.W.A. Uh, also, also down with uh, uh, Uncle Jam's Army and stuff. 
um yeah i mean it's just like everybody you know like obviously uh, if you watch, if you look at the straight out of the Compton album, you can see Arabian Prince there. If you see uh, Gangster Genghis Tolvinch, there's a ba- he's on the cover and stuff. But then by, and if you know the story, basically he he was the first one to leave before you know before the whole shit with uh, uh with um with Jerry Heller and shit like that. So mm. uh, so NWO is pretty much it was an all star group growing up, like world class right. wrecking crew, Bobby Jim and the Critters, CIA and shit like that, and Easy you know was just. Easy, it was just easy and shit. Boys in the hood and stuff like that. So I mean, we re- Dre was like, for me, growing up as a you know like as a DJ, uh, the the top you know there's like Uncle Jam's Army, World Class Wrecking Crew, KD Mix Masters, uh, and basically Egyptian Lover, Doctor Dre, DJ Tony G, who's like pretty much the you know like an unsung hero, but he's the OG OG right. of, of the KD Mix Masters and shit. Like if you talk to anyone like Joe Cooley, Aladdin. Like he was the, he's the man, and he's 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 a uh, Cuban, mm-hmm. originally from New York, came came to L.A. and stuff like that. You can watch the uh, we uh, the junkies. We have our own podcast called uh, uh, Building Better DJs, and we did actually an extensive interview. So if you really like, people oh, no. heard of Tony G, but Tony G's like, like in terms of DJing wise, too, is also scratchy wise. He's just like, uh, um, man, he was ahead of his time too. Shit, like you know a lot of you know, so. Uh, but like, yeah, Dre, you know, like Dre, Dre, Egyptian lover, you know, like ba- battle cat will tell you about Tony G. They're like, yo, he's the man and shit like that. Mm. So, uh, and then of course, Bobcat, uh, uh, a lot of them know Bobcat was originally from, is from uncle jam's army was also part of LA posse and was DJing for El Cool J and shit. Oh, wow. So yeah. DJ Pooh was under LA posse. A lot of people don't know that, you know, so right on, man. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, uh, when, in terms of Dre and NWA and shit, they started making Rhodium, Rhodium swap meat. So Rhodium swap meat mixtapes. This Rhodium is a swap meat in Gardena, kind of like in between uh, uh, Compton, Gardena, uh, Long Beach, and whatever whatnot. And the tapes he used to make was crazy on some four track. Him and Yella, uh, and they used to do it for this guy named Steve Yano, who's Japanese American. Uh, first, like the one of the first, uh, I guess you know. Uh, Asian American in terms of in terms of hip hop, he was selling records. So all the records that you hear on the on the Rodeo mixtapes, that's what we, he got that from Steve Yano. He was selling and shit. Steve Yano was the first person on the West Coast ever to sell the Ultimate Breaks and Beats. So yeah. shout out to my big brother Breakbeat uh, Break Lewis. If you guys don't know about Ultimate Breaks and Beats, it's like the, all the samples and shit like that. You know, like you know, uh, all producers that had that. You know, and a little tidbit. Uh, Straight on Compton was all Ultimate Breaks and Beats compilation samples and shit like that. So yeah, so I mean, yeah, Dre was Dre and, and Yella, man. You know, like you know, NWA. I mean, so when NWA came first came out, we were just like, oh shit, because World Class Wrecking Crew was more electro. You have to remember, right. LA or West Coast in general was just like we're we're behind. You know, hip hop started what in 73, 74. So we're behind. So whenever shit came out, we, we got it late. It's like the same thing. Other Once we got it and then the other countries started catching it, uh, it's like a little late. Um, it's, it could be the same thing being that you, you uh, David, you, guys, you said you're in San Jose, right? So you yeah, guys yeah. bear. So imagine we get in LA, then it got trickles, it trickled up to, right. to, you know, so, you know. So. Right on, man. Well, you know, I, I the, thank you for that um, extensive answer. We, I want to, we would be remiss not to get into your own history a little bit. And I just want to like start off at the beginning and sort of move forward. Um, I know that you started as sort of a dancer and a writer, but 
you know, uh, you were DMC ITF champ in like the mid to late nineties, man. Can you bring us back to your first championship title experience? Championship or just, just a battle in general? Sure. Uh, well, I wanted, I was thinking like a championship battle, okay. but right. I mean, well, it, but, but if you have one that stands out, I mean, yeah, feel free to share well, that I mean, as well. I mean, my, I mean, it was crazy. Cause my, my first battle ever is, was, um, it was a it was a LA battle, and and I was in it with Shortcut, uh, and and J Rock and uh, this cat named Fat Fox who used to uh, rest in peace. He used to DJ, he was uh, Coolio's DJ, and so it was like it was it was it was it was in glam uh, it was held in Glam Slam, which is Prince's club here in LA at the mm. time and stuff like that. So I mean that was a that was the first time I you know met Short and you know he. Uh, he it was funny he just literally got back from the new york seminar like in uh and this was 94 was it 94 it's called unfadeable battle he just i want to say 93 or 94 new york seminar battle and shit like that and i remember when i went there to the seminar battle, uh the new york seminar is, is a is a is a convention music convention that uh tom silverman of uh tommy boy records threw and shit and all the labels were part of it and it's like that was the ultimate battles in terms of like you know they would throw these these uh these industry things, but then then that's where all the DJ battles and most of the DJ and MC battles were more like signed artists. You got to well, the internet battle, you got to be sponsored by the, some labels and shit like that. So or, or whatever be accepted. But by that time, that's when Clark Kent took over and, you know, and, um, you know, his crew was called a Superman. So it was crazy because it was my first battle. And I, I seen short and I remember he when he when he first short, I didn't. I didn't officially meet him until he came to the battle mm. and he, and when I saw him in New York and shit, he was representing the Philippines. No, you know, not knowing that he's originally from the Bay area and shit like that. So, and he, look, you know, he won, he won first place and won second place. Uh, Jay got, uh, Jay was, he got sabotaged with the light man. Cause he got in an argument with the light man and shit. So like that. So, um, but yeah, um, that was somewhat like my first, first battle, but in terms of like, uh, I guess official legitimate national title mm -hmm. was like the 96 West Coast DMC battle oh, wow. because at the time they don't have it now, but before it was used to be West Coast DMC, East Coast DMC, the top two or three winners battle uh, for the USA championship in New York. And then the winner goes to the US, I mean, to the worlds and shit like that. So, uh, so 96 was my legitimate, uh, 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 legitimate title i mean a little tidbit too uh, uh three beat junkies won uh three uh dmc west coast tiles in a row shortcut 90 94 babu 95 i was 96 so wow it's amazing man uh you guys have a storied history um i would love to hear a little bit of insight behind you putting together the world famous beat junkies volume two mix on blackberry where there were so many, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He pulled it out from behind him on the nice. shelf. Yes, that is the exact one. Um, those were such guides for me of figuring out who was who in independent hip hop. Can you talk a little bit about the curation and mixing on that one? Right. So um, it's pretty interesting. So volume one was done by Babs. So um, it was on, I think, PR Records. So the guy the guy who kind of like was doing that, put that project together, he left that company and 
started his own label, which is called Blackberry, which is uh, this guy named M. Boogie. So uh, um, uh, Babs was the first one to do it. Um, and then he approached me when he started his own label. So when I, when I, when the, when I decided to do volume two, I was like, I want to, you know, I wanted to do it a little bit more different, you know, because uh, Babs, are, when you, if you listen to ba volume one, Babs just kills it, man. I was just like, you know, maybe also famously, uh, he does his blind alley routine right. on there. So right, having right. that recorded was super important for me too. It's a great right. mix, but right. Well, I mean, the, take well, anything away from you. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> the, 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 you know, it's funny. Cause he, that was a, a thing that he, uh, around that time, that's when he started. Uh, Cause he, he he won the itf beat juggling routine with blind alley and shit like that so that's you know so fast forward and stuff like that um he, he killed it and stuff and i was like man what am i gonna do and by that by that time uh um it was crazy because like uh wolf you know about a wolf uh he was starting to becoming he was like the the record buyer hip-hop record buyer for uh, um fuck i forgot the name of the distribution is it trc trc, TRC yeah so you know uh he was you know sending stuff and then you know during it, it's crazy during those times it's like the the especially in the la scene you know like cats were coming up to get you know like we're like you know like jurassic uh you know jurassic wasn't even jurassic yet they were like you know two groups and shit like that um i remember seeing like uh like you know the licks and stuff when they're you know uh one of the one of our members one of the junkie members uh, uh tommy gun was working at loud records as doing radio promotions and shit so he goes you know like you know get us some ins and shit like that so and there was a club called unity and stuff like that that was like kind of like if you had a if 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 you need to perform in la on some underground hip-hop that's the spot you had no you know there's a there's, if you guys don't know already there's a documentary called elements uh, um uh we, where we're from they kind of they talk about that so rest in peace to Big bigger b and stuff like that so that's the place it's like you if you want to be respected that was the place and shit like that so uh so when i want uh uh when i wanted to make my you know my my mix and stuff i've also wanted to like kind of like uh, um kind of like try to like like highlight uh more of the underground. Well, not saying that that Babs didn't do it, but he was able to get some licensing from some a uh, little bit more of the upper independent labels or major labels and shit. Mm. With this one, a lot of it was on favors. Like so, you know, like again, so, so, um, just seeing like you know, like like when when I had uh, when I had uh, like the licks and exhibit and stuff because the top Tommy Gun was able to get us a you know like help me get me a, like a, a clearance from loud records to officially you know to get that on my own then the rest was just like records buying from fat beats and then some of them are the homies and shit like that says yeah go go for it like i remember like when like when i got when wolf started when wolf started stone throw and then you know loop pack and stuff you know they say go go for it so a lot a lot of this stuff was because of friends and then some of it like so obviously like slum village like i don't know uh i'm sure you know you know i you know, there's stories around, you know, like I, you can get on the internet, but I basically, you know, Bab, Babs and I were in Japan when, and, and I don't know the, the 12 inch, the first official Slum Village 12 inch was only available in Japan and we brought it back. And, oh. you know, I put that on, on my, you know, obviously in volume two, uh, uh, Babs and, and Jay put under Wolf famous, uh, uh, 
world famous joints volume two and then we used to you know we brought up box records and just bring it gave it to the crew and the homies and they start playing it and i mean we start playing on the radio or in, at unity or like all these shows and shit and they were like what is this so it was that you know and then also production so by that time already you know like kikulratmatic uh which is you know like uh, you know this you know you know kikul's a member of the visionaries that's our first our only album you know we did and then visionary we, we you know visionary started so i wanted to also highlight my production shit so yes so it was just like so what i did so this singer right here so it's called uh from the ground up yeah. uh it had uh you know one side from the ground up it had rock our science t love uh elemento and this cat named shady who's down with the uh, um black forest and on b-side it had a song called uh uh ubiquity with um key cool evidence and divine styler and shit like that so it was like i wanted to i kind of basically wanted to i based upon what uh funk master flex mixtape not is, 60, mm-hmm. is it 60 minutes of uh funk whatever funk. what it's yeah. called yeah you know he had it was a compilation he did he had a single and shit so i wanted to do that but more for independent especially on the west coast or la and shit like that so that's how it came about when i made the mix i did it on a six track a vestex six track cassette thing um end up being more like you know there was supposed to be like 60 minutes became more like a double cassette double vinyl so <laughs> the, the 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 record i just showed you it's just more the songs just for people yeah. who don't have it but yeah. the, it, the real the real thing was more having this the double cd the double cassette you know and then if you have the singles or if you have the picture disc and shit like that so yeah yeah, yeah that's that's dope man thanks for uh giving us a little bit of a window into your your production um, I wanted to talk about uh, your work with the visionaries kind of uh, helping to form the super group. And I'll start with this question, two part. Um, how did, how did that group come together in your role in it? And then the other question is who's easier to work with rappers or DJs? <laughs> Tell the truth. Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> radio silence okay. first part so um visionaries like well you know key key so again um asians and like it goes back to asians hip-hop and stuff like especially in the west, in the west coast and stuff like again a lot of uh, a lot of asians were always been involved in hip-hop like maybe three out of the four elements right so i mean djs dancers and graph artists but not really many MCs. Being, being culture wise, and David, you probably can uh, uh, you know attest to this. You know, like when you've been raised, it's mo- we're not very outspoken. For sure, for sure, Qu- uh, soft spoken. Soft spoken. Right. You know that you keep your right. Keep your you know keep your blinders on. Do your don't 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 do sh- you know. In hip hop, you got to be more boisterous, you know, more boisterous. You got to be more aggressive per se, like right. that. You know, and. And me being, you know, also like I was, I was shy and stuff like that. So hip hop helped me to, to get me, get my confidence. Cause you know, uh, um, so during those times, there weren't that many Asian MCs like that. And if there was, it was kind of corny. And then the way I look at it too, uh, um, being, you know, coming up in the eighties and stuff, it was, you know, like, uh, uh it's one thing it, 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 LA spread out. It's really spread out. So people don't think, oh, there's just L.A. and there's Hollywood. No, it's L- L- there's L.A. proper and there's L.A. County and it's spread out. So uh, mm-hmm. it's like um, sometimes it's just it just bubbles and shit like that. But if you really want to, you know, if you really want to get your respect, you got to go 
like more into L- LA and Hollywood. That's where all the shit is going on, all the clubs and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and being in, you know, uh, even though I grew up in a very multicultural, you know, also too, of course, goes to you know, a, you know, Asian, Asian scene and stuff. And it's a, it's a bubble and stuff. So when coming, coming, going out and to get their respect and stuff, especially with the, with the, you know, with the, you know, with the black and brown community and stuff like that. Cause again, you know, it's, it's majority black and Latinos and stuff, you know, in terms of like when you go really into the hardcore scene and stuff, um, it was, it was, it, it was a thing where it was just like, uh, um, we had to work 10 times harder. So uh, when I met a, a, a quote unquote rapper, Asian rapper, most of the time they were corny. And for me, it was like, had it like, not to sound on some, some Eminem eight mile shit, but you had to, <laughs> You literally, you really had to ten, you had to ten times work harder, and shit like that. You really, you had to ten times work. But here's the craziest thing: the duality of this. So it's like, and I said this in a couple of interviews and stuff. It's it's interesting. So from the Asian side, though a lot of, though a lot of our generation grew up and listened to hip hop and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, why are you trying to be black? It's mm-hmm. interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And then of course you go, you know, go to you know the the, the blacks and Latinos like oh Chino or like yo yo who's this Chinese cat and shit and it's like I'm not even Chinese and shit but you know the thing is it's like it's like who you know uh, uh you know, like who are you and stuff and of course being that 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 hip hop the culture of hip hop is a basic is, is legitimately it's, it's it's really a black and uh, uh, black and brown uh, uh culture and stuff like that you know but you know obviously it grew and stuff but that's just the basis of it you know um so uh, uh, the interesting thing part was like, if I, sh- you know, like at the time, if you had the skills, I mean, from our generation, it was always about the skills and stuff. I mean, it's a different time now, but back then the, you didn't really care what, what ethnic background you are. You had to literally be, be legitimately has skills and yet you're, you're genuine about the shit, you know? So it's like, so it, it was like one of those always cats always testing so i had to like you know if i got but you know if i got my ass busted i had to go back to the drawing board and come back and shit like that so mm-hmm. uh, um so when some like when someone like key um when i heard started hearing about key i was kind of like who is this and i was and i have to be i have to be uh, uh be transparent because i was like you better be good man because he's like it's one of those things again it's just it's like as a as a dj they the um, or 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 anyone that's uh, participating in the culture, you really had to come with it and shit like that. So um, and it's interesting. So I uh, I met Key ironically at the same club Glam Slam. He was I was a guest DJ. He was hosting, and I've always heard about him, uh, you know, like this. And then when I DJ and he did, you know, he hosting and he and I was like, oh shit, okay, okay. We exchanged numbers and shit like that, and then we talked, you know you know talk about hip-hop you know like you know he grew he grew up in gardena so he he lived he lived literally right behind the rhodium swap meet so he grew up like around or uh, you know around that area you know which gardena is part of like the south bay area which is also like you know like carson and you know like again borderline compton and stuff like that uh torrance so he like he lived like you know he would see booyah tribe be real with like was living you know, he would move around, you know, but he would one time was living in Gardena. So he would see like them when he go to the Gardena swap me, he would see Dre and them and shit, you know, like, oh, that's that. So they got there, you know, he would his experience. But like, um, so at the time, 
when I hooked up with them, I just, this is like 91, I guess. Um, so there are a couple of things. So a lot of people might know or might not know, I used to DJ for this group called Brotherhood Creed. So this song is called. Word? Yeah, the song called Hell of a. Hell of a, yeah. yeah. Oh. My best friend, my, my best friend was also in the group. Um, the lead MC was also was from Cerritos and stuff like that. So um, I I was DJing for the group. Uh, uh, then, uh, you know, things didn't work out uh, and got a bad taste from it. And then I uh, left, uh, was working with another MC, and then that didn't work out for whatever reason. And then I got, you know, and I realized it's like, uh, um, I had to like I want to learn how to make beats, and when they they reissued the SP twelve hundred uh, uh, at the time, so it was like the original SP twelve hundred, just like a gray, gray color, and then the one was, and then the the reissue one was black, but shit, it was three thousand dollars, you know, so three thousand dollars in nineteen ninety one was a lot, man. I had to like sell my BMX bikes, sell all these things just nineties money. And yeah. in, in Bush era money, yeah, yeah that's that a lot. My, my my parents helped me out, but still, it was like, yo, three thousand for this shit. <laughs> but it was like, but yeah, that's how. And then when I connected with Key, we talked about it and says, hey man, you know, like I'm I'm working on beats now and shit, you know. So originally, Key, you know, I was supposed to make beats just for Key and shit like that. And and then and then for whatever reason. We lost contact for a whole year and shit like that. And then eventually we connected because uh, um, his manager, it was an old, old school friend of mine. His partner was a, a, was a DJ, his DJ partner that we went to high school together. He was Japanese. His, his manager was Japanese. He was Japanese. Uh, and so, and when, when I guess uh, his, his manager says, yo, man, I, I, I you know, I, I connected with an old school friend of mine, Red. He makes beats. He's like, "Yo, he was supposed to send me a beat tape long time ago and shit like that." <laughs> so we connected, we talked, and then we started doing some demos and shit. You know, in my garage with a four, you know, I had a four track at the time, and uh, and eventually it just said, "You know what? Hey, man, want to be a group mm. and shit like that?" And you know, kind of on some. Like on some Asian gang star shit, you know, like DJ MCs, <laughs> right? You know, I <laughs> mean, not like necessarily we're gonna like we're eight, you know, like. It was also at the point, like, it was like, my thing was like, you already know we're not, we're not black. We're not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, and so it was just like one of those things is like, we want to rep who we are, but we want our music to speak for ourselves. We don't want to use our ethnic background as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a crutch, you know? You know, mm -hmm. oh, he's a, he's a. That's a dope Asian DJ. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, that's, a dope, that's a yeah. dope Asian MC. No, it's like, oh, that's a dope MC and DJ that happens to be Japanese and Filipino. Right. That was our coming to our thing. Because all end of the day, it was like, we, you know, you already know we're not black. We're not Latinos. We're, he's Japanese. I'm Filipino. So we just, but we, we want to show that we got the skills and shit. So that was the, pretty much that. And then, Ironically, uh, he was working already with Elemento. Uh, they were in a group before a long while back. Uh, then he also was work. Uh, so uh, Lord Zen and Danu, he knew Zen from parties. I met Zen here. I met Danu through Lord Zen and shit like that. They were two mix. I knew two mix. Uh, he was already making his noise from OMD. And I met him through Raka, Raka Our Science from the dialect. So the craziest thing was like, that's another thing too, transition wise too. I was... Uh, Raka, myself, 
uh, Easy Rock, Zulugrim. We're part of the, the the LA chapter of Rock Steady Crew. I know a lot of it's crazy. I got you know it's, it, it, when I think about it, it's like damn, it's crazy. So uh, I knew Rocka for and Ev for such a long time when they were known as the as the Fatliners and shit like that. So I met I knew Tumex through through Rocka, course of his thing of OMD being a part of the good life and shit like that, and he was doing street promotions. And um, next, you know, it's like, hey, man, uh, uh, you know, he would hang around. I would hang out. Hey, I'd invite him and stuff. And then, you know, eventually we all kind of connected and eventually became the visionaries. You know, like the first official visionary song was on the Cosmonauts album, Vision, you know, visionary stuff. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. I mean, and the funniest thing is like we didn't meant to be in like no, like no, no United Nations you know we didn't we didn't expect it to be like that it just happened that way and shit you know that's what we're trying to do so yeah pretty much we're we're modeling it after y'all but but you ducked the second part of my question who is who is harder to work with djs or rappers call it mcs yeah 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 off top easy yeah i mean you know i mean it's just understandable because they're very they're very you know mcs are you know, they got to be braggadocious. They got to be confident and stuff like that. So there are right. certain ways, whereas DJs is all about the music, shit like that. Yep. So we, you know, it's a, you know, so, but don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, you know, it all depends. It's just, it, it really comes down to also personalities and stuff. And, yeah. You know, just yeah. different upbringings. That was, I think, just realizing this is, but once you, under, once you understand that, you know, you, you know, there's ways and ways. And sometimes now I'm in points like, yeah, if you like my beach, cool. If you don't, cool. Don't bother. Whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Go somewhere. Um, Rhett, we really appreciate you giving us LA history, your history, um, just kind of breaking it all down for us. Uh, as we kind of wrap here, what's next for you? What's coming up? Oh, shit. Uh, so, damn, did I talk too much? Too much? <laughs> nah, man. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, well, I mean, as of right now, you know, currently, you know, the Visionaries album, uh, 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 V, it's our fifth album. Okay. It, it dropped. It dropped in uh, in December of 2020. Okay. Uh, we're still pushing it. I mean, it, to a lot of people, it's still new and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, um, it's been like 14, 15 years since our last album because our last album was, I was gonna in, say yeah. Our last album was in 2006. You know. So yeah. So um, and we're doing it independently, like through ourselves. We were before on Up Above Records. Now we're like literally doing doing it ourselves like you know and, and learn you know like and it was kind of like due time to do it just because is you know like before anyone passes away you know we lost a lot of people mm, to yeah. you know to mix uh, you know at the time during the process you know, like he got his leg amputated and stuff like right. that you know so it's right. just like you know this is one of those things is like uh you know and also growing as people and stuff because at the time you know like again you go back i was having a hard time Sometimes, you know, like whatever ideas or whatever the ideas you want to mix, it got to a point where it was just, you know, frustrated and stuff like, you know, and then for me, I had a, I had to step away uh, and just to, to grow as a, as a person and as mm. a, as a, as a, as a producer, as an artist and stuff, be more, you know, figure, you know, figure out things on my own and stuff. Some of the guys are like, let's make an album. And I just like, I don't want to go on, a, you know, like, let's go on a road. It's like, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's like, almost like, I wanted to be, I wanted to be fun. Cause like the, the last time was okay. a great album, but it was the, one of the most stressful times and shit like that. Just because it's you know, like, 
we had to do this, this, and this. And it, it, again, during those times, it was, it's, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of changing transitions and stuff. You know, this industry was changing a lot, you know? So uh, at this particular point now, it's like, especially now, it's like, there's no rules. You just have to you know, stick to your lane and stick to your guns and not have any expectations. So and mm. one, of the, and one of the things, too, was also like, for me, being transparent, this is like, if we're going to do this album, um, you know, I'm making the beats and don't overthink it. Just, just do it. Okay. You know, okay. like, you know, like I want to do it. Just have fun. Let's just record it. And, and, and whatever comes out, comes out. Don't overthink it. Cause if you overthink it, it's not going to be fun no more and shit like that. Yep. So, yeah. And then whatever, you know, the, you know, and the response of our album is really good so far. I mean, not, you know, knock on wood and stuff, but I'm really, you know, whatever happens with it, you know, like I'm, for me personally, I'm very proud of it, you know? So I, I want to say it's one of my up to date, best production I ever did and shit like okay. that. So, okay. Okay. Uh, that uh, what's also going on. Beat junkies. Beat junkies. Uh, yeah. So, uh, man uh, uh we have a record pool we have a, a, a we have an online dj school and then we also have our own like we have a a, a brick and mortar dj school you know be junkies to sound that's our crazy be junkies.tv uh i mean the the brand in terms of business i guess we've been going for seven years i mean if you think about it we probably like 30 years in general but like yeah. just as, as a business we probably like you know like i we're older now, more, more mature, you know, sure. more like, so it's like, you know, seven years, I would say in terms of being business and stuff, it was like, this is kind of like our second win. Cause when our 20 year anniversary happened, we didn't realize how much like, I mean, cat, we were still a crew, but we just like cats were doing their own thing at the same time. You know, we weren't right. really hanging out. And then when we started doing our, when we celebrated our 20 year anniversary, starting doing tours and shit. And we were amazed how many people, came out or you know like mm-hmm. you know like we're just like not even from our generation but younger generation or something like that so we're just kind of like you know what let's you know let's uh uh this is an opportunity for us to just like you know just get you know take it to the ne- next level per se and just like you know this is a chance for us to to do you know be legitimate a business and you know and take the things that we still love because you know that as you guys know the the climate of the uh, of the of the culture, the industry has, has been changed drastically in the last ten years already. So it's like it's one of those things is that we had to learn how to adapt, and or else we be one of those old old grumpy guys is complaining about. <laughs> and that was a thing That's for us true. too. It's one thing for that we, we kind of learned. We didn't want to be like those guys. You know, like some of some of our heroes or some of the you know the people we looked up to or like or just people from our generation in general just just complain and shit. You know yeah. that bitterness is just not a good look. But no, what you not. guys are doing is inspiring. All the business stuff, the DJ school, the record pool. Just it's just we we just cannot tell you how inspiring it is for us and um just like really setting a good example of how to age gracefully in hip-hop yeah that's, that's what i was our, gonna say our totally. Aging gracefully. Totally. We're totally. Trying, we're trying i mean i mean still it's still learn like trying to learn even from even it's crazy being a being in a te- uh, being a teacher an instructor like i learned i i learned how to become a student again you know like mm-hmm. i had to you know if to teach you know to teach dj you had to really break it down to th- someone who never even even know how to put a needle on a record and explain to them and stuff like that. Yep. And not only that, that learning from cats that I may not, but then there's like, I never thought about that. Let me see how, you know, like, wow, can you do that again? Like getting inspired and stuff, like literally taking, taking your ego out and stuff, mm. you know, like that was the mm. hardest, you know, like in hip hop, it's all about, you, you know, yeah. but 
uh, I think in general, just in general, is just that, you know, like as you get older, you realize your ego is not your amigo. Oh, red dropping the gyms. <laughs> you, you, well, I learned this because it was just fine. So a lot, if, if you follow me and stuff like that, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I trained jujitsu. So I started okay. late and stuff and okay. that honestly, that even helped me and humbled me a lot more and stuff, because it tells you like, they don't care who you are out, you right. know, like whoever you are outside the mats and the mats, they don't care. Who you are, you get smashed. Like I got <laughs> smashed by big guys, little guys, women. It don't matter. It's, it just shows you like, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, like, you know, you, you will get, you get served. So that kind of like helped me to like, put that in context it's like say you know like there's no such thing as losing it's only winning and learning oh okay okay man man uh we got life advice we got history we we got to catch up with you man we really appreciate you coming on the program Brett Maddox thank you so much man thank you man All right, that was our conversation with DJ Rhett Maddock. Want to thank him uh, for coming on and sharing his time. And that was great. It's really good to catch up with him. I mean, what a respected figure. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, he is sort of on that 50-50 tip. I mean, he's a turntablism master, but um, also has been making beats forever, you know, um, mm-hmm. with the visionaries and whatnot. Um, through my career, I've been able to talk to like J-Rock and Babu, but um, it was really good to see the extra angle of insight that Rhett um, added and was able to bring to the table. Well, the what, what they're doing with their school and their like podcast and like mm-hmm. their the kind of the, the industry of the beat junkies is so cool. I've mm-hmm. always said from the time I was a teenager, I really admired how like skaters would take like it like once you become the old head skater you like open up the skate shop or like start a brand Mm -hmm, and -hmm, you like mm -hmm. you import then you sponsor new skaters and you know there was like a lineage that was passed down and i always thought like those dudes many of whom probably came from like more privileged backgrounds and had access to things like this like were really really good about like keeping themselves employed and paying it forward and now it's like Mm -hmm. really rewarding to see that happening with DJ culture, with people who could not be more respected as like pinnacles of totally. the art form who are still active. Like totally. I know J-Rock just ended his radio show after like 20 years of like holding it down, but he's still one of the best DJs in the world. Like Babu is like, you know, like you guys were saying, like both a producer and a DJ who's mm-hmm. just been part of so much dope music. So those guys are, uh, they're pretty incredible and it's really cool. It was really, really cool to talk to Rhett. He was, um, the fact he knew who we were was, you know, that was, that was cool. <laughs> and it's like, um, I think we, we have some mutual friends uh, from the DJ world, but I thought it was more like, it was like, Oh, he's like, he knows that we're trying to preserve hip hop culture as well. Yes. And like, that was a totally, nice totally. And his, his, his answers are very like based in a lot of history and, and um, experience. So it was really good to see that. And, you know, to, to your point, Nate, like them paying it forward. I mean, you're, you're, you're watching, 50 year old DJ masters, you know, yeah. teaching other people how to do it. It's, it's like, it's like Rakim or black thought teaching kids how to write raps. It's incredible. 
Totally. Yeah, which is uh, actually doesn't always happen in hip hop. There is this kind of tension between um, not showing people the tricks and and how to do the things like there is sometimes a very protective culture around that. But the Beat Junkie School and kind of all the things they've been doing, I guess, to Rhett Maddox's point, since their uh, 20th anniversary, when they kind of realized that the world still really loved them and there was something out there. So it's as far as there's like a Beat Junkies Wives uh, podcast uh, wow. of some sort. Yes, it's that's a real thing. Um, so it's been great to see them kind of evolve. The show is all about how do you grow old gracefully in hip hop. And um, they are one example of how you do that. So again, we want to thank DJ Rhett Matic for coming on the program. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are also avid basketball fans. That's really the only sport that kind of hits everybody <laughs> in the sweet spot. Nate, I, I, I took your advice and I, I fake got back into baseball. Um, <laughs> did, you just, enjoy, it, did you enjoy that week? Yeah, th- that was a really fun week all the way up until the utter last moment. And then the Giants lost and I was at a bar and Dodger fans were having a great time. And I'm just like, I don't even watch baseball, man. <laughs> it was, it was a rough end to a great season. Uh, go Giants. Excited to see what happens in the offseason. But whew, last call was uh, some utter BS. Yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit brutal, but it brought me back into um, the, the sweet agony of sports. I've really taken a huge step back. I was I'm a very avid sports fan of um, all the shit that, dudes my age watch and I, I took a huge step back during the pandemic uh but yeah it was fun it was fun to get back into like oh I, I'm emotionally invested and now I'm crushed and now I'm going home um so with that being said we we are definitely NBA fans the NBA season is right around the corner I want to throw this out to you Dave first disclaimer um, it will have started by the time they hear this Will it? Yeah, it's, oh, uh, that's right. it's we're tomorrow. recording Monday. It starts on Tuesday. You'll hear this on Thursday. So we'll see. See if see if we're right. Skeff's, yeah. Skeff's going to get 40. Skeff's gonna get, <laughs> yeah, he's going to come out, come out as, averaging 40. Uh, Dave, will Kyrie get vaccinated at any point during this season? It is up to you. You make the call. Wow, that that's a tough one. I'm of two minds, but I feel like ultimately he will get vaccinated. I think um I think he's probably very hard headed on his stances. And I mean that in a in a, in a positive way, but um, uh, sort of like Wiggins and sort of like many other athletes. I think uh, those millions upon millions, it's, it's hard to turn down, especially for your family and, and your network and your investments and all that. Like, what is he going to do? Like, stop making payments on all these properties because he's not <laughs> right, right, going right, to get right. a shot. I don't know. I think yeah. I think money's going to be a driving factor there. Yeah, Nate, what is what is your call? Does does let me let me rephrase it. Does Kyrie get vaccinated before All Star break? Oh, I I think so. Um, sort sort of to what Dave was saying, but more because I think the peer pressure of the what the Nets can do this season is really really special. Like they could be dominant. Um, they have a really really good team, and so I don't think KD and Harden are gonna allow someone who's supposed to be part of this magical season to like sit most of it out. And I think that that will eventually be the thing that brings him back into the fold, though the money is always lurking in the background and probably more important, but for PR purposes, they could all say for kind of an esprit de corps, uh, they're in it together to all for one, one for all. 
Uh, did did y'all see that tweet that Michael Jordan would have vaccinated every member of his team personally? <laughs> <laughs> like he would have literally Luke given Longley out gets stuff. boosters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the Warriors season, though, man. I'm very yeah, much yeah, looking same, forward same to here. it. We've been I I watched every preseason game like a fucking loser. Look and, at uh, you, Dave. That's a deep <laughs> level of commitment. It it's just worked out with my work schedule. But I mean, you know, every night like if I'm if I'm having dinner and stuff's going going off for forty, it's it's a it's a good night. You know what I mean? But but let's uh let's let's start by talking about the new uh the newest light skin god um playing for the Golden State Warriors, and that's Jordan Poole. Man, coming people. out of nowhere, coming yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Party. Swear, full party. Oh, did you coin that? <laughs> <laughs> nice, when, nice. I, I might just have. Man, yeah. uh, you heard it here first on Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, Jordan Poole, is he going to actually be this good this season, Nate? I, I've uh, made some very silly bets and uh, looked real dumb at the end of the season, basing too much on the preseason. So exactly. I'm going to go uh, serviceable player, not superstar, really important key for the Warriors, but not someone who's going to get talked about on SportsCenter every night. Okay. Dave Ma, are you going to buy the pool jersey in blue or in white? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always team skins. You know that, Doug. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. You're going to go for the 10. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I pool pool's athleticism is off the charts. And I think with having Iggy's like aged wisdom, you know, in, in the bunker, yeah. I think that, I, I think that would definitely help. I don't know if he's going to, you know, he's definitely not going to be an all-star, but I think he's going to have some cr- tremendous highlights and will be spoken about on sports center. I mean, if he keeps it up, I mean, that, that last game, he just had like two flying putbacks from out of nowhere. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that gets you off on the sports dribble, Center. off the off, dribble. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very, very exciting. But I, I like you, Nate, try to temper myself. There have been so many summer league and preseason legends. That's that, my, uh, my Dennis that. Smith Jr. rookie of the year bet. Just so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Dunking on fools in the summer league. I'm like, OK, here we go. Now he's like a 15th man on the roster. Uh, Damone, question for you. And it doesn't matter if you read the article or not. It's more just a prompt to talk about Draymond. Did you see the Ringer article this morning where Draymond admitted he lost interest in basketball when the Warriors weren't good? Your thoughts? <laughs> uh- <laughs> We are all Draymond in that respect. Uh, no, no, I, 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 I you know, I, I really feel like Draymond in particular um, is a is an energy and a vibes guy. Like I think he would do well on any team that was actively involved in violence um, and like just energy, right? Like he's he wants to be in on it. I could totally see him tapping out. Um, as soon as like he wasn't intimately involved in it, which probably a lot of players would. You see players like LeBron, um, who's in the fucking playoffs every year, but also can like root on other players and kind of mm-hmm. be. And Draymond does some of that, but you also get the sense that he's like, I could give a shit until we get back out there. Because uh, the Warriors have been on a weird sabbatical. Like they were the best team in basketball for, you know, almost five years, uh, had, had a drop off pandemic, and now we've had kind of one weird season maybe clay comes back this season let me throw this out to the group uh how far can the warriors go this year they're a playoff team they'll be in the mix i i, I don't know how, how much playoff are we talking round one round two final conference finals what i don't man. i don't know man that's tough the there's a lot of really good teams in the west we will know more on christmas day when clay 
laces them back up. Back. Totally. Yeah. I just read an interview with Clay um, or saw an interview with Clay. And I guess in the off season, he's been reading uh, a book called Be Like Water written by Shannon Lee, which is Bruce Lee's daughter. So it's, dude, it's not about Clay, his boat, <laughs> <laughs> which I heard. Dude, if Clay, if Clay is sitting around reading, you know, Bruce Lee wisdom and pep talks and philosophy, dude, I think he's going to come out. He's going to come out like an assassin. Killing. Killing. Yeah. Uh, Splash one, bro for real. Yeah. One, <laughs> on several levels. Uh, one, one would definitely hope. I'm always triple ultra cautiously optimistic with those weird. Some players are just never the same. The knee ankle thing. Right. Sometimes you're just, and maybe he's just a spot up shooter now. I don't know. I caution people to be like, when Clay comes back and he's Clay, it's like, nah, that remains to be seen. He'll definitely come back and do some things. Uh, but the emergence of Jordan Poole, as we mentioned, has me very excited. I like late career Stephen Curry. Kind of like, uh, I'll take it to the basket on you. I'm not going to oh. shave. I'm not going to get a lineup <laughs> before this game. Are you crazy? Uh, he looks he looks rugged. He looks a little bulkier. Last mm-hmm. season, he did amazing work with this, you know, kind of sus uh, squad. So I'm interested to see uh, what he can do with the with a healthier team. Um, we'll round it off here because we've totally lost like 30% of our whole fucking fan base <laughs> by, by this point. Um, will the Warriors make that trade? Nate LeBlanc. I'm not even going to say what trade it is. Will yeah, they I know, I know what you trade? mean. Uh, I'm not seeing it. No, no, I, I don't. I think this is the team this year. Okay. They're going to roll with this. I, I think they have, they have it nicely set up. If they can be good, be in contention now and have these, like all these young guys that they're developing, especially as Dave mentioned, having Iggy back in the mentor role, mm-hmm. Draymond, yes. according to this article, ready to take on more of a mentor role. Um, you know, I, th- I think this is, I think this is what we have to deal with. And I know they, they still need to pick up a 15th guy, but that's never the difference between you and a championship. It's just, yeah, right. you know, more of a thing for the true nerds to care about, but yeah, I, I, I'm not seeing it. I think they would have done it this off season if they were going to do it, if they were going to do it. Uh, Dave, Ben Simmons was spotted at practice with sweats <laughs> on and a phone in his pocket. Uh, will, will he end up in the bear? He's taking your moves, Dave. I know. <laughs> is he gonna smoke a menthol light too, uh, dude. Ben Simmons is somebody. I'm. I'm totally one of those people who was like, "Oh my god, this guy's amazing." Too. He's a dipshit. I fucking hate him. So I don't ever want to even see him by the in our state. Yeah, you sound like Zilla Rocker right now. Yeah. Some, some heavy, some heavy angst. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Uh, if you do it, you have to get rid of Draymond because you can't have two non-shooters on a team. And I'm not yeah. ready. I'm not ready to break up with Draymond. I, I don't know I don't how think, he feels about me. But I don't think the I'm, core is going to get broken up. Yeah, not not this year. I don't year. think so. Okay, okay. Um, I think that's probably a safe bet. I, I like to remind folks that the Warriors are not built to be the Lakers or the Bulls. They're built to be the Spurs, who were legit yeah, yeah. frisky for like 20 years. And you're like, totally. oh, they're too old, blah, 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 blah. And then they come back and have a, a sneaky playoff run. So that's my hope. I'm going to call it right here because this is a, a recorded record for which I can be ratioed later. Let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call it right here. Warriors are going to make the Western Conference Finals. Wow. Okay. They're okay. going to make. I can't say what's going to happen from there. It is a very stacked conference. Against gonna, the Lakers, the Suns, the Jazz, the uh, Nugs. Utah. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Woo. Utah. I feel like um, LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis are both very tired. 
Um, they're amazing players. It is October. I'm just going to keep making that joke and just until, you know, we have what, 16 days left. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and only eight shopping days until my birthday. So (laughs) please, uh, please make yourself aware of that. So we appreciate, uh, those who have indulged us in basketball talk are those who have vehemently disagreed. I really just want to get on. I want Marlon Kraft, Blockhead, uh, and Jay live. I want us to go three on three versus three, like hardcore opinionated Knicks fans. Uh, Any day. Let's do this. Yeah. And and we'll start by doing that basketball rapping scene from, uh, from, is that from wild style? Yeah. Wild style. (laughs) Where they meet on the court. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's funny. Um, Uh, I I always do the, the Curtis blow thing runs in my head. Basketball, basketball is my favorite sport. <laughs> sport. <laughs> like the way they move up and down. You're right, uh, Curtis Blow. That's right. So, um, yeah, thanks for indulging us on that. And if you like more basketball content, uh, you follow Damone on Twitter at Life After Hip Hop. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if his feed goes from like nuanced takes on the local takeout uh, food scene. <laughs> to just cursing that's probably in reference to sports that's 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 (laughs) what the sporks do to me uh yes but i'll also let you know where you should not eat tacos so uh with that being said we are the dad bod rap pod you can follow us on twitter at dad bod rap pod you can check us out on instagram at dad bod rap pod we do this shit every thursday this has been episode 191 thanks for rocking with us dad bod rap pod Check one, two. Yo, this is DJ Repmatic, world-famous beat junkies, visionary crew, and you checking out one of the dopest podcasts out there, Dad. Dad, <laughs> dad, dad, what? Dad, dad, bod, dad, dad, bod, dad, dad, bod, rap, pod, yeah. Lonely Island Audio.